0: Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 And in our in our topic today has already been alluded to We're going to be talking about the subject of grace and Usually when we talk about grace First we want to know what it is It is unmerited favor uh, that has been bestowed upon us uh, By God that we have received this favor uh, We have received pardon from sins Not by anything but we've done But simply through uh, Christ and His sacrifice Now when we talk about that, we have to be careful when, when, we, when we discuss this topic. As many uh, in the religious world, there's a lot of confusion regarding the subject. Many will talk about the idea of uh, grace only, that is to the exclusion of any other aspect of salvation, any other component of salvation. And a lot of people will even take the stance that God just arbitrarily chooses uh, people to impart grace to regardless of what they do. And so when we think about grace, what I want, I want to talk about how does one uh, receive uh, grace from God. And then we're going to go, go into further uh, in the, into the idea of grace, what grace teaches us to do, more specifically in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So when we t- think about the idea of grace, uh, we think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, in verse 8, we see, For by grace you have been saved. That is how we are saved, through that favor that we receive by God. But how do we receive it? We receive that uh, through faith. There is uh, some that we have to develop. we have to have faith so that we can have grace bestowed upon us. And in Romans chapter 3 and verses 28 through 31, we see the idea of being justified by faith. Paul is talking about the Jews no longer being uh, justified by law or attempting to be justified by law, but now we are justified by faith in Christ. Now when we think about the idea of faith, we think about what is that, that there is some... We have some belief in something and we act upon we act upon it, okay? But when we think about salvation by faith, we have to, we have to consider that there is first something that I have to choose to believe, that there is some word, there is some... I have to hear something or read something and then believe it in order for me to develop that faith. So when we're talking about this idea of salvation by faith, it indicates some form of instruction that I have to hear, read something and choose to believe it. And also going on to Titus chapter two uh, in verses 11 and 12, Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 12. got Gotta get there. Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 12. It says, for, by, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So here again, the grace of God brings salvation, it has appeared to all men. But what does it do? It teaches teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So this grace, it teaches us, it causes us to do something. It teaches us to do certain things. It teaches us to give up certain things that we have to start uh, acting in a certain manner. And we think about that if, we, if, if it was the idea of grace only, that is to the exclusion of any other component of salvation. There is no need for any type of teaching. There is no need for any type of obedience. And I think that what we can, what we can see through just these few simple scriptures and what I will try to further develop throughout the lesson is that God's grace is received and is also maintained Conditionally now is received and also maintained conditionally, and so when we look at, continue on. We look at uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, Acts chapter eleven. He is referenced again in Acts chapter fifteen. We understand that he uh, he was a Gentile and he was saved by grace in Acts chapter fifteen. If you will turn there, in Acts chapter fifteen. In verses verses 7 and 11, now this is at the the Jerusalem council, but here Peter references uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 15 and verse 7. It says, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now go to verse 11. It says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So Peter is referencing back, we'll we'll turn there in a few minutes, to Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius, those in his household being saved. It says in verse 7 that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of gospel and believe. So this is what he is referencing to here. that They're going to hear the word, they're going to believe, and in verse 11, again, he says that we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So they had, had grace bestowed upon them uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, just as those Jews that would accept uh, Christ, that they would, f- make, that they would follow him, they would receive that grace just like the Gentiles would. Now, but we also notice that there were conditions upon receiving uh, that grace. Uh, for example, they were to hear the word in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14. Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, this is Peter recounting uh, that conversion. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, he says, Who would tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved? Now this is Peter recounting what uh, Cornelius had seen or how he, what he had heard from the angel that was sent to him. And Peter says that that, that angel told him that they, that he said that Cornelius uh, recounted this. He says, Who will tell you words by which you all your household will be saved? And this is, just on a side note, this is kind of interesting here. That there were no, there were no calls for having some type of an experience. There was not going to be any type of emotional outburst. Now, granted, we read that Cornelius and those were important that they received that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, we have to understand if that was never meant or said to give salvation to anyone, what was going to give them salvation was by them hearing that word and obeying that word. Also, they were to believe what has been given them. In Acts chapter 10, and verse 43, Acts chapter 10, and verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. This is uh, Peter uh, when he was talking uh, to those in the household, he says that talking about Jesus, that through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. So they were going to hear those things; they were also to believe what has been uh, told told to them, and also they were to repent. In Acts chapter eleven, verse eighteen, uh, this is after uh, uh, Peter repeating what has been what what happened. Uh, with Cornelius in verse 18, it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then had God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So here we see that the, that the Gentiles had repented at Cornelius. They had, they had heard the word, they had believed, and also they had repented. And also they were baptized in Acts chapter 10 in verse 47 and verse 48. He says, Can any man forbid water? They should not be baptized which had received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here they were to repent and they were to be baptized. Peter says, Can any man forbid water? They should not be baptized. That he wanted them to be baptized as soon as they could. It is a very, he was very diligent in wanting that, that baptism to be done. It kind of gives you an indication of the importance of baptism. Also, they were to work righteousness. This is interesting. At the very beginning in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35, we look at who does God accept? And in verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, Think about the context, that that, that these were Gentiles, that that Peter was being sent to these Gentiles, and they were going to be saved. And then in verse 35, he says, he understands now that any nation, any person that fears him and works righteousness, he was going to be accepted by him. But we notice those conditions set upon them being accepted. Now, we go through all this, and remember, going back to Acts chapter 15, they were saved by grace. But then again, they were there were conditions to receive that as we have seen. It was not just arbitrarily given that Uh, they had to uh, accept certain things, they had to believe certain things, and they had to do certain things so that this grace could be received. Also, we think about, so there were Christians, and then we go on and we think about, well, a Christian, he has received grace, but what happens if he sins? What you know what does he still have grace? Did he st- does God still impart grace to that uh, person? Well, if we look at First John in chapter one, and verses seven through nine, First John chapter one, verses seven through nine, it says, "But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son, cleanseth us, cleanseth us, us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we look at verse seven, and I think we can see we can see the goal. We can see what we ought to be striving for. We ought to be striving to walk in the light as He is in the light. But then in verse eight, He says that even, even if that's our goal, we're he, said, he says, clearly says we're going to mess up. There's going to be times when we do sin. He says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we strive for walking the light. When we do mess up in verse 9, when we do sin in verse 9, it says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we're a Christian and we, 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 ha- we, we're, we set that goal of walking the light but we sin. What do we do? We know that we have to confess our sins. We know in other places that we are to repent of those things, to turn away from that sin, not to be sorry for and continue in in it. We're to turn away. We're to change the way we think about that sin and to stop doing it. And in verse 9 here it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we've sinned, we know how to be cleansed from those things. God will... Even if we do these things, God will still extend, uh, extend grace to us. But look, we have, to, we have to follow those conditions which he set forth, as we can see here in First John. So, when we think about that, you may have, when we're looking at that, we say, Well, Evan, well, you're, you're saying that we still have to ask forgiveness for our sins? Well, that's what he says in First John. Does that mean that what happens when i don 't do those things? Can a Christian fall from grace? Can a Christian lose his salvation? Well, in Hebrews chapter twelve verse fifteen, it says looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up tr- trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The writer here is saying that a man can fail of the grace of God, and we know that they're writing to the the writers writing to Christians. They're thinking about returning to uh, to the old law, at least in part. And he's telling them, "Look, look diligent, pay attention, lest any of you fail of that grace." But you may can, you may think, "Well, Evan, it doesn't uh, specifically say that these people were Christians. They, he may have been talking about people in general." Well, when we look at Galatians chapter one and verse two, w- we see who. Uh, Paul was writing to here. They, this this was written written to the churches of Galatia. He says, "And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia." Now, if we understand when the Bible talks about churches, they're not talking about buildings. They're talking about people. They're talking about saved people. Talking about Christians. These are what the churches are. And he says in Galatians chapter four. Now, remember, he's talking to this is who he is writing to. He says in, Gal- in Galatians chapter five. In verse 4, he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So, he's talking to these people in Galatia, to the churches. These are people that if we read throughout, that they are Christians. They are part of the kingdom. But, as we see throughout the New Testament, they were of uh, warning or, or tempting or people were trying to get them to go back and to serve at least part of the old law and he said if you do that in verse four it says whosoever of you are justified by the law, if you start trying to be a uh, pleasing to God by the law, if you think you're going to if you think you're going to try to be justified by the law, you are falling from grace. That you were in grace and then if you do this, you fall from it. Now, you know, we think about this, we cannot fall from something that we were never in. These are people that were in grace, but it says if you do these things, you are now falling from grace. So we understand here that a Christian can fall from grace. Also, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 5, it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, how does How is one kept by the power of God in this verse? We see that it is through faith unto salvation. Now, we would think kind of logically about this. What if we reject our faith? What if we're a Christian and we just turn back to the world? We have to understand that God is no, is no longer in, in any obligation to keep you. That if you reject God, you cannot expect to be Saved that if you have faith, you are kept by the power of God, but if you reject that faith, then you there is no way that you can expect to be saved. Also in Second Corinthians chapter six and verse one, it says that grace can be received in vain. It says we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So here Paul is saying that you can Receive grace, but you can also receive it in vain. That you received it, but you know there's no longer, it is what you received is no longer uh, useful for you. You have received it in vain. So, when we think about these things, we think about, we see how God extends grace to us, and we have to see that there are conditions to receive that grace and also to maintain that grace as well. But also, going back to Titus chapter 2. Going, trying to Kind of going back to this idea of grace teaching us. Grace teaches us in, in part to say no to some things. It's, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. As we say in Titus 2 verses 11 through 12. In Romans chapter 6 and verses 16 through 18. Romans chapter 6 verses 16 through 18. We see that we have... Made a commitment uh, to God when we were converted. In Romans chapter 6 and verses 16 through 18, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So Paul says that they were at one time slaves of sin. But what happened? He says in verse 17, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You've made a commitment. You've heard the word and you decide to obey it, to follow. And then it says, having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So when you become a Christian, that is who you are. You are now uh, committed to serve to be a slave of righteousness and not to unrighteousness, not to sin, not to ungodliness. This is who you are now. You are a slave of righteousness. Also in First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, when we think about God's uh, holiness, it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. When we think about God's holiness. We think about what He views as good, what He views as bad, what He loves, what He abhors. And then we see that God commands us to strive to develop ourselves to uh, to have this mindset of the same things that God uh, views as uh, that God loves that we love the, the things that God abhors we abhor that we are to develop that kind of that same holiness that God has. But what if we don't do those things? It is a complete disregard for God's holiness if we do not strive for that. It is complete irreverence towards God's authority. If we refuse to submit to those things, if we do not strive uh, for that wholeness as we see in First Peter in chapter one and verse sixteen, also Romans chapter one and verses eighteen through thirty-two, we won't read it, but it talks about those who have rejected God, those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we see that they're going to be judged for that; they are worthy of judgment; that they are going to be punished four of those ungodly acts. Also in Jude verse four and verses fourteen through sixteen we also see that there is judgment promised for the ungodly. In Jude verse four and verse fourteen and sixteen. Jude four verses Jude verse four and fourteen and sixteen. In verse 4, says, For certain men have crept in on those who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is talking about these uh, false prophets, false teachers, that they have been marked for this condemnation. And what are they? They are ungodly men. They are unrighteous men. And in verse 14 through 16, it says now, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophes- prophesied about these men also, saying, "Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him." These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great, swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now. We see in verse 15, these ungodly people, it seems like Enoch was trying to make a point here. He talks about these ungodly people, uh, their ungodly deeds. In verse 15, it says, the Lord is coming to execute judgment on all of them. So again, this is not a, uh, a suggestion. These are things that we have to do. We have to strive to stay away from ungodliness as, as best as we can. Also, grace teaches us to say no to fleshly lust, going back to Romans chapter 6 and verses 12 through 13. Romans chapter 6 verses 12 through 13. Romans 6, at the beginning of verse 6. It says, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So here he's saying that old man, when you, when you were converted, when you were baptized, that old man was crucified with him. It's no longer, you know, that old way of living. That's, that's gone. That's in the past. He says that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And in verse 12, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So here, Paul again, he's saying, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't obey its lust." Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself uh, to God. Again, kind of like what we read before. You're no, this is, you're no longer supposed to live in sin, no longer supposed to live in unrighteousness, no longer supposed to obey those fleshly lusts, but now you are a servant of God, and you are to live accordingly uh, to them. Also, we are to avoid uh, the works of the flesh. We see in Galatians chapter 5, and verses 19 through 21, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. This whole list of things that we are to abstain uh, from. Beginning of verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders." drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we are, again, to avoid all these things. And we see uh, in verse 21, all these things, it says, and the like of those things. So we have this list, and those things are like them as well, that we are to give those things up. And then in verse 22, it talks about taking... Do not do these things, but we are to have, we are to put on the fruit of the spirit, which are, and we see that list of these things, which are we we are to uh, uh, develop ourselves in. But we see that we are to say no to fleshly lust. We must avoid uh, these works of the flesh, and we also have to notice that these things not only are, I mean, they're not these actions affect ourselves, but they also, again, they affect how we uh, how 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 effectful the word is in our lives in Mark chapter four and verse nineteen. When we think about uh, the parable of the sower, they talk about the seed that had been sown among thorns. And it says, and Jesus uh, describing these things, he says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, uh, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So if we're constantly in, you know, we're constantly concerned with the world, we're always. Uh, wanting uh, these, uh, these desires of our flesh, well then our mindset changes. Our mindset increasingly becomes more and more in tune with the world and the Word, it, it, becomes, it becomes you know, a second thought or a, a passing thought in our lives. It, it is not as uh, effective in our lives because we become more and more concerned with the things of the world and then it, what happens? It becomes unfruitful. It, 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 it no longer bears any meaning to us, and if, if that happens, we're certainly not going to be bearing any type of fruit ourselves. So again, we have to focus on not, uh, uh, not uh, falling in love with the world, to constantly strive to uh, follow the will of God and to constantly follow His Word. And again, we're also we're not to to not to love a girl, not to love the world. Just as we've talking uh, in our last point in First John chapter two and verses fifteen through seventeen, it says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God." Abide forever, and so John here's saying that there's no, there's no fence straddling straddling here. It's either one way or the other. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, right? And then it says in verse sixteen, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the proud life, is not of the Father. So, but it is of the world. So if we, so we're constantly uh, have to work on putting those things away. we're not concerned about uh, what's going on. Uh, out in the world we're not constantly trying to fulfill those desires and understanding that in verse 17 that all those things they pass away and the lust thereof but, and then the promise is but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever so again we can't love the world all those things are passing away but if we uh, abide, abide in the will of God we will abide forever it says he that doeth the will of God abideth forever Forever. so again striving to not uh, love the world and not to not to focus our desires on the things of the world as well but it also when we think about the idea of grace it teaches us to say no but it also teaches us to say yes uh, to certain things which teaches us to say yes to living uh, soberly and also a uh, restraining of uh, oneself in first 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 13. It says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of the great for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter talking about those great, that great hope and promise that we have through Christ. Those things that even the prophets and the angels desire to look into. And then he says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Understand what you have, and take care uh, to uh, maintain those things. That you are to be sober. That you are, there are some things that you're going to have to abstain to. To you're going to have to walk circumspectly, uh, and and to constantly be diligent, looking around what's going on, and 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 constantly working on following the will of God, and also restraining. We have to work on restraining ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, this is Paul speaking. He says, "But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others," I myself should be a castaway. So Paul is saying, even he himself, he's always trying to bring, he's he's always bringing his body into subjection. He's not gonna, he's not gonna indulge his flesh in those in any type of desire that's ungodly. And he says, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He understands. Of the consequences of indulging in those things. And so therefore he is constantly restraining himself, constantly living soberly. Also, uh, grace teaches us to say yes to living righteously. In Romans chapter 12, and verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul is saying here, look, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You start thinking differently about some things. You're no longer, like this what we talked about, you're no longer focusing on things in the world, but what are you focusing on now? You're trying to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're always wanting to know what the will of God is and to learn more and more about it, making sure you're always following what his will is. And when you think about it, how do we do that? How do we prove what the will of God is? Well, the only way that we can prove those things is through His Word. In Second Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, the Word is, instructs us in righteousness. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, if we want to know the will of, will of God, if we want to know how to live righteously, we look at the Word. All those things are given to us, and it's profitable for all these things, and it's profitable, profitable for instruction in righteousness. And also, when we think about what kind of, we think about how the Word helps us in our instruction in righteousness, we become righteous. By obeying God, that we are constantly uh, trying to prove that will of God. We're looking at his word to know how to act righteously. And we also we are to yield ourselves unto God and to, to not only do we know how to live righteously, but we actually do it. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, un- of, of righteousness unto God. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So he says, Now, you no longer yield your members' instruments, but it says, "Yield yourself unto God." You start abiding in His will. You submit yourself to Him, and you're no longer submitting yourself to sin uh, or to unrighteousness. You are now submitting yourself to God and to and being a servant of righteousness. Also, we are to our grace teaches us to say yes to living a godly. And we think about we kind of kind of poked at that a little bit, but we think about. How do we live godly how do we how do we know what is godly? How do we know uh how God would react in a certain aspects? How do we know what God loves? How do we know what God abhors? We are to uh develop ourselves to love the same things that he had that he does We are to abhor the same things that he does. How do we do those things? We simply cannot do those things unless we know a God's word and we know his character, his person as well. And Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 11. Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 11. I'll get there in a few minutes. Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 11. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you, or oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, uh, the question is asked, how can a young man cleanse his way? How, does he, how can he uh, uh, start living godly, start living righteously? By taking heed according uh, to your word, that is to God's word. And then, in verse 10, it says, With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. This is what we, this is what we have to do. We have to make up our minds. We have to decide how, you know, how important God's Word is. Are we willing to, with our whole heart, with our whole mind to seek after His Word? If that is, if that is the biggest first priority in our lives and if, and if we and we see what David's attitude here is that he is seeking it with his whole heart he is wanting to hear, uh, see and to hear his word he wants to have his his way cleansed and verse 11 says your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you if we know what if we want to know how, what is right we if we want to know what God wants of us we simply have to we simply have to look at his word and we have to diligently uh, look at his word as well in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it to study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this is what we're to, be, to do. We're to diligently study. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that need not to be ashamed. We are to constantly be rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to study it. We have to apply it. We have to make sure that we are dividing it rightly as well. And it's 2 like Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that we have been giving all things that pertain unto life and godliness. If we, know, if we want to know how to be godly, God has given us everything that we need to know. And how is that? It's through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. If we start knowing more about Him through His word, we, we, know, we therefore know how to uh, live godly in this world. And also, we know these things, but we also have to apply them. We are to—we know that we are to live righteously. We know how to live godly. And again, as we've talked about before, we are to live it out. In First Timothy chapter four and verse eight, it says, "For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come." He's saying. A lot of the exercise, these things, these things, and all these these things are life, there are nothing compared to uh, godliness. It says, godliness is profitable unto all things. And First Timothy chapter four and verse twelve, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, youth but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Paul still Timothy to be an example. You, you have been given what you need now you to act on it. You're an example to the believers in word and in conversation and in charity in spirit, in faith and in purity in all those things, not just believing those things, but actually acting upon those as well. And in verse 16, it says, "Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine and continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt say both save thyself and them that hear thee." So again. He's to take heed to himself. <laughs> He's to teach others. He's to continue in those things that he has been uh, given. And it says, and in doing those things, he will save himself and to them they hear, hear thee. So again, we're not only to not only to hear those things to believe them, but we're also to apply those things in our lives and to act it out and to teach others uh, those things as well. And so again, we can see how. How God extends His grace to us, he see that uh, we receive those things conditionally we see that god that god 's grace actually teaches us to say yes to some things teaches us to say no to some things and so if if you're here today and you and if you believe that you have not received god grace god 's grace, if you need to be saved, we certainly would like to talk to you and discuss discuss them those things with you, or if you're a Christian and You need to confess anything. If you need the prayers of the saints, or for whatever reason, uh, we ask you to come now. As we stand and as we sing, uh, will you come? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what?